In Aesop's fable, The Fox and the Lion, a very young fox who had never before seen a lion happened to meet one in the forest. A single look was enough to send the fox off at top speed for the nearest hiding place. The second time the fox saw the lion, he stopped behind a tree to look at him a moment before slinking away. But the third time, the fox went boldly up to the lion and without turning a hair said, Hello there, old top. How comfortable should one really allow themselves to be with a lion? How common should we really ever treat a lion? Sure, I, I guess they're adorable animals, aren't they? With the mane and nice fur. Most of us even like to imagine lions as animals who spend their time swinging through the jungle, singing and dancing with meerkats and warthogs. But make no mistake, church, one should never make themselves too comfortable with the lion. It would have been to the fox's demise to be too familiar with the lion. We tend to be far too familiar and comfortable with another lion, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Jesus. And if we aren't too careful, we can start out like the fox. We see the beauty of Jesus. We see the majesty of Jesus. We see the grace of Jesus. And we want to hide because we've never seen anything of such magnitude or majesty. But after a while, we can get too familiar with Jesus in a bad way. That we treat him with no better exaltation than the fox treated the lion. We approach Jesus and say, hello there, old hat. As with the fox, so with us. And it's to our demise that we view Jesus so Smallly, if that's a word. So, what happens when you have a low view of Jesus? What happens when we treat Jesus as though he is just another compartment of our lives? What happens when we view Jesus with contempt? In the third chapter of Matthew, we're going to see Jesus getting to teach in the synagogue that he grew up in. And instead of the people responding with awe and worship at their hometown boy turned good, they turn on him faster than a lion would a fox. Look at verse 53 of Matthew chapter 13. It says, And it came to pass that when Jesus had finished these parables, he departed thence. And when he was coming to his own country, he taught them in their synagogue, insomuch that they were astonished 
and said, Whence hath this man this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And his brethren, James and Joseph and Simon and Judas and his sisters, are they not all with us? Whence then hath this man all these things? And they were offended at him. But Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, save in his own country and in his own house. The first thing we learned this morning from Matthew chapter number 13 is that the wrong kind of familiarity with Christ breeds contempt for Christ. It starts off and you think to yourself, what a story. A kid grows up in the village of Nazareth. He attends and worships in the synagogue every week. And now that he's older and he's traveling in ministry, he has the opportunity to come back and teach in that same synagogue. What an opportunity. I can imagine the nervous excitement that Jesus might have had that day as he approached the teaching stand. I can imagine the joy that he felt as he was about to share God's truth with the people he grew up with. I remember the first time I got to preach in my home church of Slayton, Texas. We went to Bible Baptist Church of Slayton, Texas from mercy the age of five or so. I got saved in that church. I got baptized in that church. I surrendered to the call to preach in that church. I'll never forget when I surrendered to preach, the, the pastor, the assistant pastor one, he gave me a key to the church. Because I was constantly asking for it. Can I use your office? Can I use your books? Can I use your Bibles? Can, I just wanted to be at the church. I just wanted to have some small part in ministry. And I remember going there on weeknights, on off nights when I knew no one would be there. And, and I would go into the auditorium and I would turn on the platform lights. And the rest of the auditorium would be dark and I would crack open my Bible, read a verse, and then just start preaching about who knows what. Absolute nonsense. But I would just scream at those chairs for hours on end. And then I finally got the first opportunity to preach at my home church. I remember that. It was, it was amazing for me to get to do what I felt like the Lord was calling me to do in front of the people that I grew up with and the people that watched me in nursery and taught me in kids' church and youth. It was awesome. I remember the reception that I had with our people in my home church in Slayton, Texas, after I preached the first time. All the old women of the church come up to you, they pinch your cheeks, tell you how good you did. They even say things like, oh, you're going to be the next Billy Graham. <laughs> really? I had an aunt uh, named Zelma who actually gave me a Bible, and in the Bible she wrote to me, I think you're going to be the next Billy Graham. <laughs> Sweet, right? My assistant pastor would say things like, you know what, you're going to be a preacher someday. To this day, I just saw him at camp uh, last week or two weeks ago, and he listened to me teach a breakout session. And after the breakout session, he said, you're going to be a preacher someday. 
I'm like, what am I just going to, can I just be a preacher now? Or? No, to him, I'll just be a preacher someday. That's okay. I, I appreciate that. But Jesus, on the other hand, after he preached in his home church, if you will, wasn't met with approval or encouragement. He was met with rejection. The people were astonished with disbelief and even wondered how he came about such wisdom and power. Verse 55 tells us why. Look at verse 55. They say, is this not the carpenter's son? Do you hear their tone there? You see, when it says they're astonished, that doesn't mean they're they're blown away by the amazing message they heard. We've all heard sermons and messages, whether that's on a Sunday morning here or an amen conference or online or something. We hear a sermon and it just changes our life and we're astonished at it. We tell the preacher, we tell Pastor Tyler, we tell the amen conference speaker, wow, you really spoke to me. That really helped me. That was so good. We talk about that sermon at home. We, we brag about it to other people. We're astonished. That's not what they were feeling. They were amazed in a bad way. And when they ask what wisdom and what power does this man have, they weren't bragging about how powerful and authoritative his preaching was. They were questioning whether or not he got his power from Satan or from God. Here would have been their attitude. Well, he didn't go to rabbi training. He didn't. He wasn't trained to be a rabbi. Where did he get such power? Hey, is this not the carpenter's son? You see, Jesus' earthly father, you all know him, Joseph. He was the town carpenter. And as boys did back in that day, the They followed in their dad's footsteps. Jesus did the same. He followed in Joseph's footsteps and became a carpenter as well. Here's something that's interesting about this story. Jesus never got out of his dad's shadow with the people from his village. They didn't acknowledge him as the village carpenter. No, they acknowledged him as the carpenter's son. Not even the carpenter. Get this, 20 years or so of carpentry, and Jesus couldn't even carve out a reputation of being a carpenter on his own to them. To them, he was just a carpenter's son. Then they moved on to his family. They knew his family. They were well acquainted with his family. Is this not Mary, his mother? Are you kidding me? Is this not... His brethren here? Is this not James and Joseph and Simon? Are these not his brothers? Are these not his sisters over here? We, where does this come from? We know you. This is not who you are. The people of Nazareth just couldn't accept that the carpenter's son they had watched grow up for the past 30 years could be some great rabbi. To these Nazarenes, listen church, Jesus was no better than anyone else from Nazareth. Look at verse 57. It says, and they were offended in him. 
their familiarity with Jesus, bred contempt for Jesus. And because of the contempt they held Jesus in, they outright rejected him. When it says that they were offended, it doesn't just mean that Jesus ticked them off. It doesn't just mean they were put off by something that he said. It doesn't just mean that he was some guest preacher that said a few controversial things and and you left and talked about it at lunch after service. No, they rejected him. They cast him off. They didn't even believe he was a good rabbi or teacher. They would have said this. He's a false prophet. He's a false teacher. We don't accept him. In Luke, they actually tried to throw him off of a cliff. They did. They tried to kill him. This confuses me because they knew him. They knew his character. They knew the kind of kid he was. They knew his work ethic. They just couldn't see past their familiarity with him. What are some ways this happens in our own lives? I understand this morning that most of you haven't outright rejected Jesus. You haven't cast him away from you as a false prophet or a false teacher. I mean, you're in church this morning, aren't you? But if we aren't careful, we can get to a place where our familiarity with Jesus breeds a low and contemptible view of Jesus. How does that happen? Well, it might happen if you had a religious upbringing. In some cases, it could be possible that the people who love Jesus least are the ones who know him best. If you've grown up in a religious or a Christian household, it's possible that constant exposure to crosses on the wall and verse decor, never missing a beat at church, could lull you into a static and low view of Jesus. It's all you've known. So it's, uh, that's just Jesus. There isn't anything special about him to you. Your low view of Jesus could come in how you see the church's mission. Helping people find and follow Jesus. That's all they talk about around here. Yeah, I love the worship at Fellowship Baptist Church. I I love the ministries at Fellowship Baptist Church. But could we please relax on the mission? I mean, we see it. Every Sunday for the past two years, stop talking about it. Here's another one. You, you know you've gotten too familiar with Jesus in a bad way when his forgiveness no longer moves you. Do you remember the moment you got saved when the burden of sin and guilt was removed from your life? The joy that that came with? No, seriously, do you remember, church? Do you remember the first time you called upon Jesus to save your rotten soul? And the flood of grace and mercy that washed over you? And now, you might think, eh, I can confess my sin, he'll forgive it. You have a low view of Jesus when his grace and mercy and forgiveness in your life no longer move you. 
You might have a low view of Jesus whenever following Jesus just isn't as fun as when, it, when you first started following him. When you first started following Jesus, it was new and it was fresh. It was like the Christmas present that you've been asking for all year long that after one month's time turns into just another one of our material objects in our house. You get it for a few weeks and then it's bland. Following Jesus is all consuming when you first start out. We've been blessed to see a lot of new converts in our church. And I'm sure you remember that time as you're going through First Steps and Fellowship 101. And you're getting to read through the book of Mark. And you're experiencing Jesus in a real way for the first time. Hey, if you're not careful, you can go from being consumed with following him to not caring at all. Perhaps you've never entered into a relationship with Jesus. And he's nothing more to you than the hero of the Bible and the guy talked about at church every Sunday. The name of Jesus means nothing more to you than the religious guy that dominates religion in the USA. Take him or leave him, but he's no big deal. So that's what it can look like to view Jesus lowly. It's obviously not an exhaustive list. But I got a question. Church, how do we get there? How do we get there? Here's a few ways we might get there. We stop spending real time with him. If you spend real, genuine time with Jesus every single day, you'll never get too familiar with him. Another way we get to that place where we view him lowly is we disregard his words. His words become nothing more than ink off of a page to us. We will say that the Bible is the authoritative word of God, but the way we treat them shows that it might as well be another book on the bookshelf. One way that shows our low view of Jesus is when we stop loving and prioritizing his bride. The church. If life in the body doesn't mean anything to you. If life in the body of the church doesn't mean anything to you. If churches come as you come or go however you please. It's not a big deal if you go to church or not. I don't need the church. I just need Jesus. You've got it backwards. Because Jesus loved the church. And Jesus gave himself for the church. So a low view of the church is a low view of Jesus. Another way our contemptible view of Jesus shows up is when we stop cherishing the gospel. If the gospel is old hat, if the gospel is stale to you, so is your love for Jesus. I've got to ask church. How do we get to such a place? I've been preaching upstairs in the book of Matthew now for mercy. Seems like an eternity, huh? Little over two years. Almost three years preaching in the book of Matthew. And it's been amazing for me personally to just get to every Wednesday. Jesus, 
Jesus. Jesus. You can't escape Jesus in the Gospels. He's everywhere. So I got to thinking, how could we today have a low, contemptible view of Christ? When you think about his family line. Look at how Jesus, or how God the Father, preserved the line of Jesus the way he did. It was nothing short of a miracle. You look at Jesus' virgin birth, a miracle. You look at Jesus being baptized by John the Baptist. and Upon his arrival out of that water, God says, this is my beloved son. In him I am well pleased. And the Spirit anoints him. This is the same Jesus that withstood every temptation that Satan threw at him. This is the same Jesus that preached one of the greatest sermons to ever be heard. This is the same Jesus that fed the multitudes. This is the same Jesus who walked on water. This is the same Jesus who, when he's on a boat with his disciples, tells the wind and tells the waves, peace, be still, and they stop. This is the same Jesus that rises 12-year-old girls from the dead. This is the same Jesus that carried a wooden cross up a hill to his own death. This is the same Jesus that hung naked, bloody on a cross for the sin of all mankind. This is the same Jesus who allowed his father to forsake him as he experienced all the wrath that God could possibly lay down on mankind. This is the same Jesus that was buried For your sin. This is the same Jesus that on that third day, mercy, he came out of the grave. This is the same Jesus that through 12 knuckleheads turned the whole world upside down. How could we ever have such a low view of Jesus Christ? He's the most amazing person in all the world. Unfortunately, though, he does. He did for the people in his village and he does to us today. Here's what contempt for Christ reveals. It reveals unbelief in Christ. And unbelief in Christ led to being in their lives, in our story, being locked out of mighty works Jesus wanted to do among them. Look at verse 58. Verse 58 says, And he did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Second, we see this morning. That mighty works are absent where unbelief is present. Jesus didn't do many mighty works for the people of his hometown. Sure, there are probably a few people in the village that came to Jesus, grew up around Jesus, that knew him and and saw him for who he was as the anointed Messiah. Those people, no doubt, they expressed faith in Jesus. And he did great things in their life, but that wasn't the norm for this village. The believers were few and far between. And here's what happened. The unbelief of the people and their rejection of him locked them out of mighty works Jesus wanted to do among them. For the people of Nazareth, no mass healing services. For the people of Nazareth, no legions of devils cast out. For the people of Nazareth, no one raised from the dead. For the people of Nazareth, no one saw him walk on water. 
For the people of Nazareth, no one attained greater depth to their understanding of God and the kingdom that Jesus was bringing to this world. Why? Because of their own unbelief that was bred by their contempt for Jesus. So I have to ask this morning, what are we potentially missing out on God doing in our life right now because of our contemptible, low view of Jesus? What are you missing out on? What mighty work in your life are you missing out on because of your low view of Christ? It could be you're missing out on a closer relationship with him. You view him low so you don't draw close to him on a regular basis, on a daily basis. Therefore, you don't have a close relationship with him. And of all the mighty works Jesus could do for us, it's this, drawing us into a closer, abiding, loving relationship with him. It could be that your low view of Jesus is stopping Jesus from doing a mighty work in your family. A low view of Jesus could be stopping Jesus from from doing a mighty work and restoring a marriage that's failing in here today. It could be that a low view of Jesus is hindering your prayers to him about bringing home a wayward child. It could be that a low view of Jesus is keeping his hand back from seeing an amazing, miraculous uh, miracle in restoration of health in your family. About financial prosperity. What if Jesus wants to bless you with finances and money so you can be a blessing for others, but because of your low view of him and your contemptible view of him and your lack of day-by-day faith in him, he just can't. So he's holding it back. Our low and contemptible view of Jesus might, might Keep us from seeing friends and loved ones who don't know Jesus come to Jesus. Our low and contemptible view of Jesus might be the thing that stands in between deliverance from a trial we're going through. A low and contemptible view of Jesus might be the thing standing between removal of long-standing sin in your life. Just think of all that Jesus might be withholding today because we simply view him with a low kind of familiarity that his own people did. I want to make something clear before we move on. If all we've come away with at this point is that we must view Jesus in a certain way to receive blessings from him, we've missed the point. We've missed the point. I'm not saying we view Jesus in a certain way so he puts his blessings on our life. That's not the point at all. We must raise our view of Jesus this morning, church, not just so we can see mighty works in our life, but because he deserves it. So, how can we raise our view of Jesus? Number one, reprioritize him. Spend genuine time with him every day. I, I... I know of no better way to raise our eyes back to the magnificence of Christ than by simply spending time with him every single 
day. I'm not talking about a token five minutes in your morning before you head off to work. Uh, Imagine our marriages. If your spouse only got five minutes of your time every day, how close would you be? Not very close at all. We can raise our view of Christ when we reprioritize Him and spend time with Him genuinely every day. Number two, we reprioritize His words. Here's an idea. Reread through the Gospels this summer. Isn't that pretty practical? Start in Mark, Matthew chapter 1 tomorrow and read one chapter a day for the rest of the summer. It's 88 days. So you'll probably be in the fall by then. But what better could you do for your personal spiritual growth than spending time with Jesus in the Word every single day? I promise you after 88 days, you'll come away with a higher view of Christ. Number three, reprioritize His bride. Uh Uh-oh. Be at every service. Be at every service. I, I've always wanted to preach the, uh, the text in the book of John where Thomas comes to the disciples and he, he's doubting. He doesn't have belief. Imagine that, Thomas doubting, right? He's not believing. And Jesus was just there. It was a Sunday. It was the, the, the evening of his resurrection and and Thomas says, he misses it, he misses the whole thing. So Thomas shows up late and says, well, if I don't, you know, if I don't see his hands, if I don't put my, my finger into the, the, the hole in his side there, if I don't touch the nail scars there, then I'm not going to believe. I've always wanted to preach the sermon, what happens when you miss Sunday nights. I've always wanted to preach that sermon. I don't know how accurate to the intent of John the Apostle it would be, but seriously, church, you, you do miss When you're not here. Because on Sunday night and Wednesday night, we have church. We worship. We preach. We can raise our view of him by raising our view of his bride, by reprioritizing his bride, being at every service we possibly can. Number four, reprioritize your own faith. Reflect on the gospel daily. Reflect on the gospel daily. We must never stop cherishing the gospel. What's the gospel? It's the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ as given in 1 Corinthians 15. The gospel is God's a holy God. And you're a sinful man or woman. And there was nothing you could do to ever earn peace with God. Therefore, Jesus came, died on your behalf, was buried and rose again. That's the beautiful message of the gospel. So you can, you can reprioritize your view of him and raise your view of him by simply reflecting on the story that tells his story the best. The gospel. Lastly, reprioritize his mission. Who in your life are you helping find And follow Jesus. Are you about his mission? Is there someone in your life that you know needs Jesus, but haven't said a word to them for Jesus? We can raise our view of Jesus when we reprioritize his mission.
in C.S. Lewis's The Chronicles of Narnia, a little girl named Lucy asked one of the characters, Mr. Beaver, about Aslan. Aslan's the lion. If you've never seen the movie or read the book, he's the lion that represents Jesus in the story. I should have had David come up to tell this portion of my sermon because he knows it far better than I do. Lucy asked about Aslan the lion, is he a man? Mr. Beaver replies sternly, Aslan a man? Certainly not. I tell you, he is the king of the wood and the son of the great emperor beyond the sea. Don't you know who is the king of beasts? Aslan is the lion, the lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan. I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. That you will, dearie. And no mistake, said Mrs. Beaver. If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or else just silly. Then he isn't safe, said Lucy. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Miss Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. When you look at Jesus, look at him through the eyes of Mr. Beaver, not the fox. He's the king, I tell you. He's the king. As our musicians come this morning, I want to ask you, what kind of view do you hold of Jesus today? Is it one of contempt or is it an elevated view? He deserves no less than a highly elevated view. And we have seen from the text this morning that a low, contemptible view of Jesus leads to mighty works from Jesus being absent from our lives. There are no doubt Christians in this auditorium this morning that have placed Jesus low on their priority list. You no longer view him the way that you used to. If that's the case, we're going to have a moment this morning where we can confess that we don't see him the way we should and beg him to raise our eyes back to where they should be. There's no doubt people in here this morning that have only seen Jesus as the guy from the Bible and you've never entered into a relationship with him. So, church, do you need to see Jesus afresh this morning? If you've never met Jesus before, do you need to come to him today? He's the most magnificent person that's ever lived. Church, raise your view of Christ. Would you stand with me?